Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now placing application to be a god's avatar in the Enya. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, in this week's episode, we're going to be breaking down the season or series finale of Moon Knight. Plus, we're talking the latest in AEW. But just a quick reminder before we move on with the rest of the show, this is the last week of our giveaway. So if you want an opportunity to win your very own copy of Spider-Man No Way Home on Blu-ray, Reminder, all you have to do is DM us a screenshot of you subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review. Now, there has been some confusion about what that entails, uh, and that's totally our fault. Um, to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that means that you actually have to you know, click the five stars and write a review. That's the only way we're going to be able to really see it on our end. But also make sure to DM us a screenshot so we can confirm that you've been entered in the giveaway. Uh, we're going to go ahead and announce the winner on next week's show, where we'll be choosing an entrant at random. This is a podcast-only giveaway, uh, meaning that we're rewarding actual listeners to the show and not plugging on social media. Uh, if you've already subscribed and left a review in the past, no worries. Just do it again. <laughs> Because it still ends up helping the show, and you know what? You deserve a chance to win also. So again, to win Spider-Man No Way Home on Blu-ray, leave a five-star written review and DM us a screenshot of it on social media at Amazing Nerd Show. And good luck to all who enter. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, so first up, we've got the Guardians of Galaxy Volume 3 villain reportedly confirmed in a new set photo. According to comicbook.com, paparazzi may have unveiled the big bad for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, as Peacemaker star Jakuti Awuji's likeness seems to be in graffiti form found on some of the walls in the set photos we saw. Plus, there are other photos that came out from this past weekend from the uh, Just Jared team showing the appearance of humanoid animals on the set, similar to the creatures that High Evolutionary would create in his own experiments over on the Counter-Earth. So there's a high chance this could be the direction they go in. However, the Guardians are known to piss off a lot of different Marvel entities as they journey across the stars. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was a side villain appearance in a similar way that Aisha, the Golden High Priestess, was in Guardians Volume 2. Yes, but with that being said, I mean, he's an extremely formidable villain for them to be going up against. And he does have a history with Adam Warlock, who we do know is appearing in this mm -hmm. film. So um, with that being said, I'm not the biggest fan of the character. He's always been kind of a one note villain to me. Um, but I'm excited that they got such a talented actor to portray the role. I mean, Awuji did a great job in Peacemaker, and I apologize if I'm butchering that name. Uh, but I'm sure he'll bring something interesting to the role. Interestingly, in a uh, interview he did with Variety, it seems like he described the character as the polar opposite to his performance as Mern. Like, he made it sound like it was more of an eccentric uh, villain. So, I mean... I, which sounds a little bit different from the comic book version, but I guess his actions are more eccentric in the comic than his actual like personality. Mm -hmm. um, but this is a James Gunn film, so I'm sure he's going to bring his own unique take 
you know, on high evolutionary. I mean, look what he did with the collector, right? Very much more Del Toro style. <laughs> well, in more James Gunn news, the Suicide Squad's Viola Davis is in talks to star in a Peacemaker spinoff series. After the success of Peacemaker, it seems HBO Max is all in with not only a second season, but now Variety is reporting that Viola Davis, who plays Amanda Waller, is in talks to have a spin-off series. Davis would also be set as executive producer with the Watchmen series writer Crystal Henry set to write and produce alongside James Gunn and Peter Safran, who worked on Suicide Squad as well. Plot details are hidden behind closed doors, but reports say the series would pick up right where we left off with Waller at the end of season one of Peacemaker. It's an interesting choice for a spinoff. Uh, I really expected to see like Amanda Waller's story play out more so in like Peacemaker, you know, especially since her daughter is part of the mm -hmm. team. Uh, but I mean, Viola Davis is such a wonderful actress that I mean, she could definitely carry her own series. And I mean, really, you're getting like an evil version of Nick Fury, you know, when it gets down to it. So uh, th there's a lot of fun to be had with that concept. Exactly. And when you add the, you know, creative minds of both Watchmen and Suicide Squad together, that makes me a little bit, you know, more excited for it as well. And if you think about it, Amanda Waller is such a powerful character in the DC universe whose reach really knows no bounds. So I'm sure we're going to be getting cameos galore from heroes and villains alike. I mean, it'd be really interesting to see like just how she goes about putting together and recruiting for the Suicide Squad. And the series could totally just flow into another film. All right, well, this past week, May 4th, Star Wars Day was upon us, and to help celebrate, the good people over at Disney released another Obi-Wan trailer. Christian, well, once again, this was more of a teaser, so we're not going to do a full breakdown because we didn't really learn tons new. So, yeah, I mean, we basically saw the Inquisitors hunting for Obi-Wan on Tatooine, uh, Uncle Owen throwing some shade at Obi-Wan. I have a feeling a big crux of this series is going to be like the tension between Owen and Obi-Wan, you know, when it comes to, you know, protecting Luke and how much involvement Obi-Wan has. I'm sure Owen wants, you know, Obi-Wan to have nothing to do with him, you know, after everything with, like, Anakin. Um, you know, and I understand, I get it. But at the same time, it's got to be comforting knowing that you've got a fucking Jedi Master, you know, watching your back, so... I guess, but that could also bring a lot of attention. I mean, they, they literally have Skywalker in their name. You know, you would think someone would have came by and checked. Well, I mean, shit, that's Owen's fault, right? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously he doesn't have a care of the fucking world. Because, yeah, why don't you change his fucking name? Because <laughs> you're just putting it on front straight. Like, uh -huh. you know, this is a fucking Skywalker. What are you doing? Because, I mean, at least fucking Leia's parents changed your name. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they yeah. registered him for school within the Empire. I mean, someone should have caught that. <laughs> I mean, maybe Owen's not the sharpest tool on the old uh, moisture farm. If they even use tools on moisture farms. Obi-Wan rocking the softer side of Sears. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of this look, I'll be honest. <laughs> I know he can't be, you know, wearing the gi and everything that would out him too much as a Jedi. But I mean, if he really wants to be in disguise, like don't you shave the beard or something? You know, yeah, I, I mean, guess. He, he's still wearing the fucking robe. 
<laughs> I'm just it's saying. saying cheek, all right? He just it looks like a lazy Sunday morning, right? That's that, that's the look he's going for here. Uh-huh. Uh, but whatever. I guess that's what all the people, all the citizens of Tatooine are wearing, so whatever. Uh but yeah, no. I mean, we see it it seems like is it Reva or Reva Christian? I I don't know. It's, I, I know think she's, it's Reva's the, she's third, the third sister. sister yeah. yeah. I mean, she definitely seems to be in charge of this hunt. I mean, mm. the the Grand Inquisitor is definitely featured in the trailer, but it seems to be more focused on, uh, you know, the third sister. We'll just call her the third sister right now until we figure out exactly how to say her name. But yeah, she's going to leave no stone unturned. Um, she's willing to deal with whoever it takes to, you know, bring down Obi-Wan, uh, including bounty hunters, which cue to appearance by Forlam. Which, you know, got me excited. Failure is not an option for the Inquisitors. So uh, you can tell by the amount of yelling she does by the end of this trailer. There is pressure being put on her. And I feel like Vader is around the corner for her at any moment. Well, we don't see her in the Rebels series, but we do see the Grand Inquisitor (laughs) and the fifth uh, brother who are both featured in this teaser. So I have a feeling she might not make it past, you know, this limited series. Mm -hmm. But besides that, we did get a lot of the same shots that we did get in like the last trailer, just from different angles, it seemed like to me. We did get a brief glimpse of Kamal Nujani, uh, who has been rumored to be part of the series, but we don't know in what role. Some are speculating they could possibly be another Jedi, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Doesn't help that his robes resemble that kind of in that little glimpse that you get. Yeah, no, that is true. Mm. But for me, the biggest moment of the trailer by far is getting just, you know, brief visuals of Vader suiting up. We see them like tuning up his arm or something, and then all of a sudden his little control panel sparks up, and I got chills, and we hear the deep breathing. So, uh, yeah, no, that was enough to like definitely get me by until you know May twenty seventh uh, when the series premieres. And I've got to say, I love the fact that these are just like bona fide teaser trailers, and yes. they're not giving us tons at all. Like, I mean, this is basically the bare minimum. So, and that's fantastic because I, I want to be surprised, you know. By something for once it feels like it's been a long time since that's happened uh but star wars generally does a pretty damn good job when it comes to like you know keeping things under wraps and that's it's more of the same here well it's like i can't even fathom who would bring any type of force to the inquisitor's base you know to fight them because that's what you know the trailer the way at least it's cut makes it seem like no, I'm sure it's probably just the way that the trailer's cut, mm-hmm. but we hear the breathing and then we you know, see a shot of Obi-Wan kind of look like startled. So maybe that's the moment when he realizes, you know, that he's facing, you know, Vader and perhaps Anakin. Perhaps, or he's just feeling that suit get put on. <laughs> or sensing, or just, yeah, sensing uh-huh. him through the forest, right? Or maybe he saw those badass purge troopers for the first time because those oh yeah those troopers look fantastic. <laughs> those are from the video games, right? Yes, they are in Jedi Fallen Order, and they are a pain in the ass. <laughs> the only reason I know that is because of the Black Series figures. I'll be honest. Um, I tend not to get the video game, you know, figures, but like mm. those were so impressive looking that I almost picked a few up, and now I'm totally kicking myself that I didn't. But yeah, after Twitter kind of spoiled. Uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness uh, this past week with a bunch of leaks uh, that I couldn't avoid, unfortunately. Uh, I'm going to be a lot more vigilant to, Mm. you know, stay away from any kind of like spoilers or leaks with Obi-Wan. Again, Obi-Wan Kenobi will be premiering May 27th on Disney+. 
And this has got to be it, right? Like, you don't think we'll get another trailer? I doubt it. There might be TV spots just to hype it up, but I doubt there's gonna, I doubt there's gonna be anything new. I hope that's true. I hope that's it, right? All right, Christian. Uh, we also got the second teaser for the Game of Thrones spinoff series, House of the Dragon. I Rickon Stark. I Corlys Velaryon. I Orman Baratheon. Promise to be faithful to King Viserys and to his named heir, Princess Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra Targaryen. Men would sooner put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. So overall, I think this trailer looked pretty good comparing to how I left uh, Game of Thrones, you know, with that final season. I, this made me a little bit interested in it. How about you? Well, I'm more of a casual Game of Thrones fan, so I mean, it was okay, but like after the last season of Game of Thrones, it's going to take a lot to like hook me again. Mm -hmm. um, but with that being said, I mean, I'll give it a shot. You know, I, I'm I'm right there with you with that. Like, I I definitely hope that this is good enough to redeem, you know, the Game of Thrones experience a little bit, because I feel like the, that last season just left such a bad taste in everyone's mouths. I don't know if anyone's really excited for this, but this trailer didn't look half bad. I mean, it's going to be uh, featuring a lot of the storyline, apparently, of the Civil War era of uh, the Targaryen reign. Uh, the king is deciding to put his daughter in control since he never had a son and everyone's going up in arms about it. Uh, you know, people are trying to plot their own way into the throne, of course, and, you know, it's Game of Thrones, so everyone wants to be king. It feels like, uh, based off this trailer, that there is a heavy, you know, main focus on Rhaenyra. It felt like she's like the main character throughout this trailer in general, which I thought as a show that usually has a lot of different character focuses, this felt a lot of heavy focus on her, mm -hmm. uh, which is a different way to go about it. No, I mean, I got that vibe too, but it could just be the way the trailer's edited together uh, to kind of explain where the story's headed. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess we'll just have to see. It is a staple, you're right, of, you know, the Game of Thrones, like, mythology of, like, you know, introducing, like, 200 fucking characters for us to exactly. track. So, <laughs> so much so that it never failed, like, you know, halfway through a season, I'd have to, like, go back and, you know, revisit the previous season to, like, remind me who the fuck is who. You know, have to watch a couple lore videos to, you know, keep yourself caught up with the entire series i get you but i think it's just because we keep seeing like her younger and then older throughout the trailer especially uh but yeah there's gonna be some type of fight between all the clans you know it's game of thrones <laughs> big uh, surprise <laughs> big surprise it seems like her brother is giving a dragon egg to a different family which is definitely outside the realm of you know the targaryen probably a big no-no Yes. <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure whose side he's on. He also, we also see him, uh, Matt Smith, uh, doing a blood pact with her at some point. Uh, hey, which, as long as they're know, not making out, I'm good, right? Damon, the, the whole family is blonde hair for a reason. <laughs> you know what's going on. Oh, man. <laughs> they did it more than Cersei. <laughs> I don't need any more incest. Well, that's a big part of their family. Nah. <laughs> but again, all the you know major families are again represented here in the show. It's just hundreds of hundreds of years before you know the beginning of Game of Thrones. So anything can happen to pretty much any character, and that's you know exciting for me at least. As long as they don't spend the entire series like overhyping the White Walkers, 
then then whatever i'm cool you know from most of the like you know trailers and you know reports on the actual show it doesn't seem like i've heard anything about the night's watch or like religion or anything in the show so far so maybe it's going to stick to mostly just the struggle between the families but we'll i mean we'll see i mean there's always that mystic element in any fantasy show well after the reaction to the season finale of game of thrones proper i'm sure they're going to want to stay away from the whole white walker you know storyline because I don't see a way to kind of redeem that. And I also find, you know, every all the other elements a little bit more interesting, you know, than like this mis- like these evil zombies on the across the continent that could possibly show up at any moment, you know? I don't know, it sounded pretty badass to me until it actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, "Oh, wow. Talk about shitting the bed." <laughs> Well, Game of Thrones House of the Dragon premieres on HBO Max August 21st. All right, Christian is finally here. Let's go ahead and break down the season or series, because we still don't know, finale (laughs) of Moon Knight. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for Moon Knight ahead. You have been warned. We return to the corpse of Mark Spector as we kick off the season finale of Moon Knight. Harrow and his goons search Mark's person to find Ahmet's statue, which I was already previously under the assumption that he had given it to Layla uh, before he got shot, but unfortunately I was wrong, as Layla watches on as Harrow gazes upon his trophy, asking his flock who wants to heal the world, before his cane transforms into a more alligator-like staff this time, signaling some kind of power-up. No, I agree with you. I also assume that he handed her the statue for some reason. Once the coast is clear, Layla checks on Mark to see if he somehow survived, but the lifeless corpse brings her no solace. But she does find the scarab had been left behind on Mark's person by Harrow, and this gives her an opportunity to follow Harrow and sneak onto his convoy. Yeah, definitely a little convenient, right? <laughs> a little bit. Plus, it's a, you know, it's okay though, right? I mean, Harrow got what he's what, what he wanted. He doesn't know Layla's there, so I guess whatever. I I think it was more to play to what they're alluding who she is as well by giving her the scarab once more. You know, they I, kept doing teases towards it. Yes, but it's also a plot device, Christian. Uh (laughs) (laughs) to get her from point A to point B. Uh On the road, Harrow's group would get stopped at a checkpoint by Egyptian military and police. In a test of his power, Arthur uses the staff to judge all the soldiers' souls in one swift motion, with only one passing Amit's test, unfortunately. Yeah, really gave you an idea just how powerful Harrow is now. This is probably around the same moment in the past episode where Mark sees all the souls raining down in the duat. Although in that moment, it did feel like there was a lot more souls. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, because I was like, what? Because when we get to the battle at the end, he's already out. So I was like, when did when did Harrow start like killing all these people? (laughs) Unless there's just some moments that happen off camera that we didn't get to witness. I don't know. I guess how many checkpoints, my dude? (laughs) (laughs) With dead bodies all around, we find Layla trying to sneak up on Harrow to kill him, but the voice of the hippo goddess emerges from the corpses, telling her to stop. Toweret explains Mark's plan to Layla, getting her to continue on with this convoy in order to break Khonshu free within the Pyramid of Giza. 
and even ask Layla to be her avatar after hearing great things about her from Steven. But Layla kind of ignores Tauret and moves on with the group. Man, even speaking through these corpses, Tauret's really charming. <laughs> I love that the hands move too, uh, like with right. each corpse. <laughs> I'm just in love with this character. I don't know what to say. <laughs> We then get to the Great Pyramid where all the other avatars have kind of realized they have royally fucked up by not listening to Khonshu's warnings about Harrow. Harrow enters the chambers of the Indiad with an army of goons in tow, and standing before all the other avatars, he claims the others are simply judges and not warriors, and is easily able to defeat them before releasing Amit from her imprisonment. This for me was the first like moment in the episode where it felt a little rushed because you would expect that these other avatars would put up more of a fight against Harrow and not be so like dumbfounded and caught off guard that it's, you know, Harrow who's causing all this nonsense, especially since Mark and Khonshu like literally just warned them, right? Mm. <laughs> uh, but I mean, one of these guys was Osiris. Yeah. <laughs> who you would think is a pretty powerful like deity. So I don't know. I, w I was a little disappointed there was wasn't more of a fight, but I understand like you got to keep, you know, the plot moving, especially when this is the shortest episode of the entire like series, which I, was a strange choice. I think what bothered me the most was just the fact that like they've put this big emphasis on, you know, these avatars being able to use the power of the gods while Harrow isn't an avatar at this point. You know, he's he hasn't been actually, you know, initiated with Amit to be her avatar. I mean, yeah, he just like, you know, waves his magic doodad at people and it, it, it that's all it takes. Uh, like, did they establish that Amit is that much more powerful than everyone? No, the, I mean, they just made it sound like she's the most terrifying of them, but they didn't say that like she can overpower all the gods. I'm sure they're trying to play up also that they're caught off guard by this attack, but I don't know. It is what it is. Meanwhile, Layla, who had snuck in, finds the statue of Khonshu amongst the many gods that have been imprisoned. All the while, Amit, who has now returned to the mortal plane, lets Harrow know that while his soul is unbalanced and unworthy of living in her world, she wishes to make him worthy for saving her and chooses to make Harrow her avatar, which he humbly accepts. Definitely feels like a direct parallel between Amit and uh, Khonshu, the fact that they are looking for an avatar that has a darker side to them. I mean, I did like her reasoning of, you know, I've used perfect souls before and none of them worked out. Exactly. You know, well, and and I'm sure that's why Khonshu, you know, seeked mm -hmm. out Mark. Layla then frees Khonshu in another area, who is quick to realize his avatar Mark is dead and quickly tries to recruit Layla. Though Layla is wise enough to not trust him, refusing to become the avatar after she has seen what he's done to Mark. And as Khonshu realizes he won't be able to convince Layla, he then bolts to confront Amit. Well, it looks like my theory about, you know, Layla being enticed by the power of Khonshu was completely wrong, but you know, whatever. It is what it is. It's just awesome as we find out later that, you know, this series is introducing us to a brand new hero in the uh, MCU. Over in the field of reeds, Mark finally gets a taste of what peace can be like as Tauret tells him of his soul and heart now being balanced and his journey being over. But Mark realizes the cost of balancing himself brings an end to Steven altogether and chooses to return to the sand of the Duat in fairness to Steven. Yeah, I was definitely surprised by this choice. Um, I just kind of expected that like eventually down the line, uh, Mark would manifest Steven, you know, again somehow. But the fact that he was willing to sacrifice everything, you know, to go back for Steven just tells you that he knew that he would never really be, you know, happy 
um, without it. That Steven really does complete Mark. And that way, I mean, this is another weird love story like Loki, right? <laughs> Not as weird, but, you know, I, I can see the parallels, I it's guess. Nothing wrong with some self-love, baby. <laughs> that so that sounds sounds a little dirty. Loki's self-love is extreme. <laughs> oh, and speaking of self-love, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Summer is coming, the sun is shining, shirts are off, and your balls are smooth. You heard that right. Your friends at Manscaped are here to make sure your beach balls are as smooth as Floridian sand. In the summer, you want to kill some cold beers and barbecues, not kill the vibe with pubes peeking out of your swim trunks. That's why Manscaped has their Performance Package 4.0 to keep the part of your pants looking crisp and refreshing all summer long. Dive headfirst into summer by joining the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. And get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING. It's summertime, gents, and if you're trying to get lucky during convention season, make sure your Ewoks are high and tight. Maybe someone will want to touch your yub-yubs. That's right, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. Their Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. And did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? From the shower to the lake, from your chest scruff all the way down to your ball throw, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best trimmer around. Once your downstairs weeds are taken care of, look after the rest with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Before heading outside, use the crop preserver ball deodorant to stay cool in the heat. With a soothing aloe vera formula, it's the best in the business for below the waist freshness. This clear drying formula will keep you in tip top shape even at the hottest barbecue or the longest convention line. And Manscaped's even throwing in two free gifts with their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag that will bring your comfort to another level. Want to take your grooming game even further? Take a look at Manscaped Shears 2.0, a package that has everything you need to look pristine. Nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors. With the performance package, your balls will be ready to impress, but make sure you cover the rest with the Shears 2.0, and you'll be ready to perform from head to toe. So listeners, get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING at manscaped.com. That's right, that's 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING at manscaped.com. This is the summer to turn your package into the full package with Manscaped. Mark speaks out to Steven in his frozen state, claiming he won't abandon him and how much he appreciates what Steven was able to do for him throughout his life. But as Mark gives this speech, his body starts turning to sand, and before he fully turns to sand, he places his heart in the hand of Steven, which seems to get the attention of Osiris as his gates begin to open, lighting up Mark's heart, bringing back both Mark and Steven. Back in the Ennead, Khonshu questions Amit's desire for balance, knowing her avatar is a sinner. 
Amit, though, still has faith in Harrow, ignoring the words of Khonshu, and a fight begins between the gods. All the while, the Duat tries to reclaim Mark and Steven as they race through the doors of Osiris. Tower in the nick of time gives them just enough coverage to finally cross the threshold, to then give us flashbacks to all these moments in their lives before re-entering their body and becoming Moon Knight once so more. So I didn't expect these gods to be able to like physically like throw down with each other, right? Like, was I the yeah, only the, one who was surprised by this? No, the way that they explained it before made it seem like, yeah, they have to have avatars to do anything on Earth. That's how I, that's the gist I got at least. Because it just made me question, like, does Kanchu really need Mark then as the avatar uh -huh. if <laughs> Kanchu can just, you know, go after Ahmet, you know, himself. So, but I don't know. Maybe they can only affect each other because I mean, Maybe he can't like actually affect other human beings, you know? Sure, I guess <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> but I mean, regardless, like, I mean, it was an awesome visual. Like, I like the character designs for both of them and seeing them go at it like Kaiju style was an awesome visual that I wasn't expecting to get like in this series at all. No, character design wise, I think they did both the animal faces in like Tauret and Amit very well, where it doesn't look too cartoonish. Like, you know, the mouths don't look too weird. It looks natural when they're talking. Oh, I agree. Because otherwise that would bother the hell out of me. I would, I'd be like, I can't take these seriously. <laughs> it is weird because like some of the other CGI has been kind of uneven, like throughout the series. Mm -hmm. But like they they definitely like hit a home run when it came to these two. Seems like you know where they spent the most money. <laughs> <laughs> the last 40 minutes, of course, and definitely not on that jackal. Kanchu, who's on the ropes in his fight with Amit, feels the return of his avatar and dips out of the fight to go find him. Once he does, he expects Mark to be ready to go to battle with Amit and Harrow. But Steven, who is now switching freely with Mark, takes control and proposes a new deal. In order for them to work with Kanchu, he must promise to free them once they are done with the imprisonment of Amit. And with no leverage to put over the combined Mark and Steven, now that Layla has rejected him, Kanju agrees before sending Mark into the sudden night sky to take flight. I was happy to see Steven finally like exude some confidence here, you know, with the confrontation between him and uh, Kanshu. But at the same time, like, why, why in hell's name would you even trust him? You know, obviously he's got something else up his sleeve. They just thought they had the upper hand, you know? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We return to Layla, who finds the uh, avatar for Osiris struggling to survive after the brutal attack from Harrow. Dragging him to an empty hallway, she learns from the avatar the only way to trap Amit once more and finally defeat her would be for avatars to combine their powers inside the Ennead and ensnare her godly form in a human body. Unfortunately, though, there isn't enough avatars left to, you know, perform this ritual. But this gives, you know, the reluctant Layla an idea, remembering Towerette's offer to become an avatar, though calling out to tower it brings some unwanted attention from Harrow as he starts bringing down some of the walls of the Ennead. And with the walls crumbling in on her, Layla makes a temporary agreement with Tauret, allowing her to suit up as the Scarlet Scarab and break free of the rubble. Here's my question, Christian. Why wouldn't she be the Scarlet Hippo? Why would she be the Scarlet <laughs> Scarab? I don't know. Like, why does she have wings? Hippos don't have wings. But with that being said, I mean, Moon Knight's not a giant bird. So I guess it makes sense. I just really wanted to see like, I don't know, a superhero like hippo character that I think that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be unique, but I guess like at least Kanchu is the god of the night sky. 
I mean, I guess there's some ties to the Dua and Scarabs, but there's because there's like some type of Scarab deity in Egyptian mythology that has like a Scarab head. But then why that's not Towerette? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I don't know. Could you see it like her with like giant jaws, like chopping down on people's heads and shit? <laughs> hey, hippos are a dangerous animal. All right. Yeah. I mean, even though that they're herbivores, I mean, you don't want to fuck with a hippo. But I mean, in all seriousness, it was awesome to see her like power up and, you know, finally become become the Scarlet Scarab, as everyone's really been, you know, speculating she would become online. So um, it, it was a good moment. And I believe in the comics, the Scarab is like Egypt's first, you know, superhero. So the fact that they're able to bring their own version to the screen is pretty cool. After this, we find Harrow on top of the Pyramid of Giza, sending out his flock to cast judgment over the people of Cairo. And in a frenzy, we see all of his followers, you know, casting these tests on people and those whose souls fail it going into the goddess Amit's mouth as she feasts and sends their souls to the Duat. This was a hell of a display of power and just shows you what a threat, you know, Amit really is to mankind. Cut off mid-chant with a V-trigger, Moon Knight knees Harrow right in the mouth, and a battle between the avatars begins. All the while, a now giant Khonshu battles with a giant Amit. Layla then swoops in like the Falcon to better the odds with Harrow and his goons. And this time around, when we see Steven take control of the body, he actually opens up a can of whoop-ass on all the goons. Mark and Steven, with their distinct styles, switch between one another during the fight, and with the aid of Layla, quickly are able to overwhelm Arthur Harrow. But Harrow begins blasting his cane at civilians, forcing Layla to disengage and protect a van full of citizens, giving Harrow an opportunity to overpower Mark. I thought this action sequence was awesome. Um, I'm glad that, you know, Steven is Mr. Knight now, has confidence and, you know, and is showing just how capable he is as a hero. With that being said, I'm not too huge of a fan of them switching like between the two different personalities and the two different versions of Moon Knight, like in the middle of battle like they were. I don't know, and this is nitpicking, I guess, but, like, I would much rather have them have to, like, commit to one form, you know, before they have to use another. You know, like, it's something where, like, the other one's down for the count, and then, you know, Steven or Mark takes over the body. I don't know, I I like the overall sequence between, between them switching back and forth. It didn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason why they were switching, but it was cool to see each like moment happen i mean it makes for an interesting fighting style but i hope it's not like a forever thing like i i'm guessing that this was more about them bonding as one and really like demonstrating that you know but i'm hoping down the line that they have to commit to one version of the character you know when he's on mm -hmm. missions i mean if there is a down the line yeah so i know it's nitpicking but i just felt like them transforming between the two different versions was a little jarring during this moment, Layla actually gets pinned down by a deflected Moonerang and several of Harrow's goons, stopping her from being able to come to Mark's rescue, as Harrow nearly kills him. But suddenly, Mark blacks out and awakens to find Harrow nearly beaten to death along with every goon there, as Layla looks on at Mark in horror, asking what the hell just happened. So I gotta say, like, I'm, I was pretty annoyed with this moment. The fact that, like, your main villain gets taken down off camera, um after, you know, six episodes mm -hmm. um, is kind of lame. Like, I understand why they did it, though, um, you know, to set up the big reveal at the end. Uh, but at this point, like, we understand that when Mark has these blackouts, that it's most likely the Jake Lockley character, 
right? It just felt so unnecessary to have your series Big Bad to be taken out in, you know, that fashion. Uh, and almost unnecessary, since I think, like, seeing glimpses of Jake in action wouldn't really hurt the awesomeness of the mid credit scene, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, especially since, like, at this point, it's pretty established what's going on during these blackouts. Uh, like, it didn't ruin the episode for me, don't get me wrong. I just think there was a more satisfying way of doing it, you know, to have your cake and eat it, too. No, I agree. I feel like the way that they did this really, like, knocked the wind out of its sails, especially after having such a great little bit of action right before this, to then be stopped completely. Like, they could have gone about it without showing his face, doing little actions here and there to just like you know show what's happening at least in this sequence uh rather than just having your big bad on his knees or on his back i should say uh being beaten uh it, it was just disappointing in my eyes at least for especially your big finale it almost lends itself to more of a like hey yeah we are doing a second season rather than because i mean how disappointing would that be if this was it and, you know, you didn't get to see anything of Jake Lockley other than that final sequence. Yeah, like I would have shot it where you would have like just seen moments of, you know, Jake taking out basically, you know, Harrow and his entire cult. And mm -hmm. then just like, you know, have that interchange with like shots of Layla looking on in horror. Yeah. And that way you get that moment of watching the villain, you know, finally get what's coming to him. Also, I feel like it'd be more of a satisfying conclusion to have this unified version of Steve and Mark, like, prevail at the end. Yeah, because, I mean, even that moment, if they wanted to add Jake Lockley to that sequence, it could have been to free him of the grasp rather than it being him getting in the final blow. Like, they could have, yeah, like I said... Yeah, like you said, had um, Steven and Mark be, you know, the ones to finally beat him. So that would that would be a little bit more gratifying, I would say. With their battle ultimately won, Layla and Mark see that Khonshu isn't doing too well against Amit and quickly take Harrow to the Inead. Once the two of them get there, they begin chanting to the surprise of Amit, who finds herself being pulled back to the Inead. Finishing the ritual, Amit speaks out through Harrow's body as she gets trapped inside, saying that she will never stop and will never be truly contained, which leads Khonshu to, you know, you know, order Mark to kill both Arthur and Amit. But Layla reminds Mark they have a choice to not listen to Khonshu orders, which gives Mark the goal to demand his release now that the battle is won. Fuck that shit. Kill the motherfucker anyway. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you just saw what Amit was capable of. Exactly. I know. And that's not going to stop Harrow. Like, you know, he's going to keep on trying uh -huh. to gain that power back. So I don't know. Or, you know, even go after another deity since it's been set up already that, you know, there's a lot of deities out there that need avatars. Yeah, the moment just didn't feel like a, hey, you know, I need to save my own soul type of thing and not kill Hera. Like, this felt like this was for the better of all life. I, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I get it. Like, it goes into that deeper, like, philosophical question of whether or not true heroes really kill, but I just think, in reality, sometimes the means justify the ends. Well, that's just me. I guess I shouldn't have a problem with it when my favorite like hero is Batman, right? Like <laughs> he lets all those motherfuckers live all the time. Yes, I mean Jesus Christ, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> I mean the Batman run would last about ten issues uh -huh. if he was just killing 
killing <laughs> most of Arkham Asylum every time they got out. After being freed from Khonshu, Steven again wakes up within the confines of the asylum, questioning reality once more with Dr. Harrow. But it's different this time around as Mark and Steven seem to be in perfect balance, just the way that they were during the fight taking equal ownership of the body. As if they see cracks in the seams, they point out to the doctor that he is hurt after seeing bloody footprints come from his sandals, and somehow they mentally break themselves free from their self-made comfort asylum, and wake up back in their apartment still strapped to the bed, but this time as equals as the show comes to a close. So I'm not gonna lie, I was terrified when and they like cut to credits after he like, you know, tripped out of bed again. I was like, oh, please don't end like this. And luckily for us, that wasn't the case at all. Of course, this is Marvel, and that's not the last moment we got. As the credits come to an end, we see Harrow in an institute of his own. A nurse goes to help him after he spills over some paint, but a mysterious gentleman intercepts, wheeling Harrow out of the hospital as they pass several nurses and guards who have either been incapacitated or more likely killed. Inside a limo, Khonshu, suited up, greets Harrow. A conversation then ensues as Khonshu, you know, explains how Mark believed he wanted to use Layla as an avatar, but the truth was he never would need another one thanks to how splintered Mark's mind is. As we are then introduced to Jake Lockley, who in Spanish tells Harrow it's his turn to lose, as Jake then begins shooting Harrow with a silenced pistol and drives off in the Spectre limo. Yeah, I mean, regardless of all my little nitpicks before, like, this moment was amazing. I mean, honestly... I mean, probably one of my like top five MCU series moments so far. Uh, just just the cold blooded nature of Jake Lockley here and finally like seeing him on screen and just all the different possibilities it sets up, you know, for a future story of Moon Knight. I mean, this was just a badass scene. So hopefully if and when we get to see Moon Knight next, you know, we'll finally see, you know, the actual fist of vengeance, right? And while this version of Jake Lockley uh, is much different than the alter we get in the, the comic books. Um, I like the different dimension that they're adding to the character, and I feel like it makes sense. And I really can't wait to see like the conflict between all three different alters play out. And the job that Oscar Isaacs is going to do playing three versions of himself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't wait. Holy shit. I mean, you got to enjoy the little smirk and like pure excitement, it, it seemed, in Jake Lockley's face when he got to actually kill Harrow in that scene. Absolutely. So, I mean, even though that, you know, I feel like this episode probably could have used another additional 30 minutes. Um, I did end up walking away pleased and content with the conclusion to the story. I mean, I think without that scene, I would be a little bit frustrated based off the oh, ending, but... Absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, this definitely was them, like, you know, sticking the landing. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, I feel like the issues were caused by them trying to protect this reveal at the yes. end. It's kind of like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I just feel like there was another angle to the story that you could have gone and, you know, like I said before, have your cake and eat it too. But all right, since we're here at the series finale, we have to give our overall grades for the entire show. So, Damon, what were your thoughts on Moon Knight? So, um, I thought it was a fun, weird ride uh, that surprised me at every turn. Uh, I didn't expect it to come close to as grandiose as it ended up being. Uh, I mean, the deep dive into, like, Kanshu felt more of a, like, season three story. At least that's what I kind of expected. 
Uh, but the fact that they were able to like balance both Mark's story and his struggle with mental illness and at the same time like introduce us to this like fantastical world of like Egyptian mythology was really impressive. Um, Mark Spector is such a complicated character and Oscar Isaac was absolutely brilliant like turning in a performance of a lifetime and I thought the rest of the cast for that matter did a great job. Uh, I also thought it was refreshing, like, how unattached to the rest of the MCU the story felt, and how my enjoyment for a Marvel show, for once, didn't, like, hinge on other films and shows. Mm -hmm. uh, there really wasn't any kind of serious, like, Mephisto watch, if you will. I mean, there really wasn't any kind of, like, Mephisto watch. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but, like, it made the experience not having that feel more unique than the other MCU series because we were allowed to really focus more on Mark's journey and not how it was going to like tie into the grand scheme of things when it comes to the Marvel Universe. I mean, I think my only real issue with the show overall is I wish we would have had a couple more like sequences with Moon Knight in action and maybe a few more scenes with Harrow to add some more like depth to his motives and truly see what makes him tick. But regardless of those issues, like I said, the series left me clamoring for the next chapter of Moon Knight as we hopefully get to see the dark side of what it means to be Conchu's fist of vengeance. I mean, come on, give us some face carving fun, right? <laughs> so, I mean, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and give Moon Knight a B plus. I have to agree with a lot of that because I believe this series did a fantastic job of really focusing on the character of Mark Spector and who he and Steven are. You get a great look at Oscar Isaac as a performer throughout this entire series as he really embodies these two different characters. I mean, it it's crazy how much he's able to drive this story along as they continue on with his adventures. Uh, as as you said, the fist of vengeance here. But all the cast did a fantastic job. I do agree with that. I think I am getting a little over the usual polish of the MCU. I think uh, I would like a little bit more of these uh, shows to have more of their own distinct look going forward. You know, we got uh, a little bit of different styles within WandaVision, but I feel like we're still getting that same polish on every single MCU project that kind of makes it look too smooth at times. I mean, the CGI was pretty good, but you, you did get those moments with like the Jackal at the beginning of this series that were a little bit shaky that made me a little bit more worried for the rest of the show. But as each episode went on, I you know found myself thinking, oh, this is the best episode of Moon Knight each and every single week. You know, that it really hooked me each and every time I came back to the show. And I, I appreciate it for that. I would say the only other uh, drawback I really had while watching it was I felt like while the acting and the story really shined in showing Mark Spector and Stephen Grant, I didn't think that we got enough actual Moon Knight action. You know, I the the scenes that we did get like especially after watching this last episode where you got to see um steven and mark really embody moon knight and have these great action moments um i didn't feel like the previous scenes that we got were all that special you know uh the moment with the the collector guy or um thief uh wasn't that great of a fight sequence and then we also had the first ones against the jackal which didn't leave much uh for me to be interested in 
and I hope that if we do get a second season or something like that, um, you know, we get to see a little bit more of, you know, Moon Knight getting to be the badass that, you know, they showed here at the end of the show. But I, I, I am in the same boat. I want to see more. And that's the least I could ask for. So for Moon Knight, I am going to give a B plus as well. But all right, while that does it for Moon Knight, you can join us next week as we talk Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. This week's episode is also sponsored by Athletic Greens. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I realized gamer foods like energy drinks and chips weren't all that nutritional. I hated taking vitamins as well and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. And luckily with AG1, I've found a tropical flavored blend that I drink every single morning. Well, Christian, that's because with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery focus, and aging. You know, all of the things. I even have my family hooked on it, Christian, and they love it. We're even making sure to take it with us on vacation this summer. Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is important for a recluse streamer like me that admittedly doesn't get enough sunlight. And let me tell you, I've never slept better, and that's because AG1 supports better sleep quality along with mental clarity and alertness. And you also have to love the price. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and that's cheaper than buying all the supplements yourself. And we're not alone in loving athletics greens because currently they have over 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit Athletic athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming, we saw another massive transfer in properties when Square Enix decided to sell off its Western IPs. The $300 million sale to Embracer Group, a relatively unknown or at least behind the scenes media parent company, brought on the acquisition of Crystal Dynamics, Idis Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal. This includes games like Tomb Raider and Deus Ex, plus a whole bunch more, which will all now be out of Square Enix's hands. Square Enix apparently claims that the purchase was more for them to focus on working on the blockchain and cloud services as that seems to be their biggest focus right now instead of working on new games. And I wonder if they're going to continue to hold on to their Japanese titles as well. Plus on top of that, I like many others have never heard of Embracer Group until this sale. Uh, the Swedish holding company has been acquiring studios left and right from THQ Nordic to Deep Silver. And now, after all these acquisitions that they've done, they have over 230 IPs in active development, along with 850 IPs in total. So right now, it really feels like there's a new player in the game after, you know, the wake of Xbox and Sony starting to buy up studios. 
A lot of studios that Embracer Group owns are known for their fantastic third-party experiences. So it's great to see that a lot of these upcoming titles will not be, you know, hard locked to one console or the other, giving everyone kind of a chance to play, unless of course a deal is struck for exclusivity. But at the end of the day, all I personally care about is, you know, players having the most accessibility as they can to try and play as many games as they want. So we'll see where Embracer goes now that they have kind of become somewhat of a young giant in the gaming sphere. Other than that, AEW Games also showed off two new wrestlers for their upcoming video game, AEW Fight Forever. While there are rumors and reports of issues going on behind the scenes between you know, the AEW management and Ukes, it seems the game is still being pushed along with a hope for a release this winter. The new footage of Chris Statlander and Nyla Rose looked like more of the same as we got when we saw the uh, Darby Allen showcase. Uh, the game looks straight up like an ultra arcadey experience, which I I may not be all in on, but I do know that the team is trying to make a more WWF No Mercy style of game with more of a focus on addictive and fun gameplay than, you know, making a graphical masterpiece. And while I agree having fun should be, you know, the core aspect of the game, a lot of how it looks kind of reminds me of what I just experienced with the, you know, most recent Saints Row trailer where seeing kind of the stiffness of animation and, you know, things not really flowing together is kind of a turnoff for me when I look at, you know, new games that are being developed right now. But at the end of the day, it's something I'm going to have to get my hands on if I really want to know if I like it or not. Another big announcement that came out of the showcase was a dedication for having mod support, which, you know, infinitely grows the life cycle of your game when you allow modders to come in and play around with the inner workings of your game after release. I mean, after all, that's why I still play Skyrim to this day. But speaking of wrestling games, our WWE 2K universe is nearing the end of its first year. Year, and we'll soon be making the big switch to WWE 2K22. Make sure you check out our PCW universe on Twitch every Thursday and Friday as a lot of changes are coming to our universe mode. On top of that, of course, we play a bunch of great titles, either new and old. I'm currently starting a playthrough in Bioshock. We plan on doing all the Bioshock games back to back, similar to how we did um, Mass Effect. Plus, there are a couple games coming out in the next few months that I definitely want to check out. So make sure that you are following us today to get notified when we are live with all these great experiences for you guys. Um, but all right, let's move on to wrestling at double or nothing there's not going to be a handshake at double or nothing there's not going to be a masturbatory Bret Hart tribute match I am going to destroy CM Punk All right, Christian. So honestly, we're kind of running out of time here. So let's kind of breeze through uh, this past week's Dynamite card. Uh, because honestly, I mean, they put forth a, kind of a lackluster effort. So why shouldn't we, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got a solid first hour. And isn't that I, what this show I, is? So. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe to non-wrestling fans. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, on that note, uh, up first, we had the Owen Hart Foundation Cup Qualifier, uh, which featured Jeff Hardy versus Bobby Fish, with Jeff Hardy picking up the win. Good to see, you know, Jeff Hardy having some great matches outside of WWE at this point. Um, Bobby Fish is, you know, growing on me a little bit by little. I have never been a big Bobby Fish fan, but I, 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 I could get I could get behind this uh, attitude of his. Like it's a newfound attitude or something? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but I did notice as soon as he left WWE, it seems like he's trying to talk more while he's on uh-huh. screen. Maybe a little too much, <laughs> if you ask me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I thought the match at first was a little clunky, but they did kind of like right the ship like halfway through. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing that I definitely can't take away from this match is just how over Jeff Hardy is with the audience. Um, they just love oh, Hardy, absolutely. but I mean, he definitely seems banged up. He, he he feels like he's just moving a little slower than usual. So I don't know if he's dealing with an injury or something. Um, but I mean, having Hardy go over here, uh, I thought was the right choice. Um, so uh, it looks like we're going to see him facing off against Darby Allen in the first uh, round, which should be an amazing match. Yeah, hopefully no one gets injured. But, you know, <laughs> two daredevils. We got this. Uh, after this match, we did have a Face-off between the Young Bucks and the Hardys, uh, which I'm guessing is probably going to end up being the pay-per-view match. It's definitely a match that we've seen in the past, but I'm always excited to see these two teams lock up. Uh, up next, we got an excellent promo package for uh, William Regal and the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, I want more of this. It was just them basically beating the shit out of Will or Yuta. And talking what it takes to be part of, you know, the club. Uh, but yeah, I would love to see them at least do like one or two of these kind of vignettes every week. I think it would just add some much needed depth of late to a lot of, you know, their storylines and characters. I mean, I'm sure Wheeler Yuta doesn't want to get beat up like every single week, but <laughs> I, I agree. I think these are they these do a lot for the actual team and like advertising it. To and I know world. we've complained a lot about this in the past, but it makes it even more frustrating that it that they're just so capable of putting together these promo packages that I just I understand that they're mm-hmm. rating killers, but it just it adds so much to the product, and I really think it helps, you know, fans who don't watch every aspect of AEW lines. It, it, like I said, it just adds so much to the show. But anyway, this led to seeing the Blackpool Combat Club. I feel like they need a short of that. Can we just say BCC? I guess. All right. <laughs> no one's going to know what you're talking about, but sure. But whatever. Uh, anyway, it led to see the BCC in action uh, as they defeated the Andrade family office, which I can't believe is still a thing, uh, featuring the Butcher, the Blade, and Angelico. I honestly thought Angelico was going to be released with his partner, but I guess he's still around. Uh, you know what? He impressed me in this match, the little that they actually gave him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy that he stuck around, if that is the case. Uh, but this match was definitely more of an exhibition match, just trying to get over like what badasses, you know, the Blackpool Combat Club are as they just demolished Andrade's group. I just hope that they have a feud, you know, in mind for the Blackpool Combat Club in the future. We did find out this week that Wheeler is going to be featured in the best of Super J over in New Japan. Uh, so he won't be around for a little bit. So maybe Moxley and Danielson will be featured more as a tag team and we could see them, you know, get into title contention sooner than later. They are currently number four in the rank, so we'll see if they, you know, are up next after this uh, next title match. Now, do these trio matches actually play into the standings? I'm not sure, because I, I feel like I, in the past they had, like, a trio's, like, marker on their, like, records. Did they? But I don't, I don't oh, remember. I don't remember that. I feel like they okay. did. I'll take your word for it. I just don't remember it. Um, I would think that after Jurassic Express defends the belts against Hobbs and Starks, that the next contender that makes the most sense would be moxley and danielson or maybe ftr 
it's just more of a case of like which one will be the pay-per-view match. Speaking of Starks and Hobbs, uh, we saw an interaction between them and Jurassic Express uh, in the back with Jungle Boy uh, challenging Starks for the FTW championship belt. I'm not sure if that's going to take place on Dynamite or Rampage next week, but... Something to look forward to. After this, we saw Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. Uh, Swerve said that they had unfinished business with Team Taz. And then Lee said that they would swerve in their glory. So at least we know that that feud's not over with. Yeah, I, I do find it interesting that almost like every wrestler has about two different angles going on right now with <laughs> with enemies. Yeah, either that or one angle that's really drawn out and feels like it's going nowhere. <laughs> but we'll get into that. Uh, mm-hmm. So after that segment, we saw Wardlow come out handcuffed uh, with his usual like barrage of security guards. MJF and Sean Spears showed up introducing W. Morrissey, formerly big cast of WWE, as Wardlow's next opponent. I was just honestly surprised that he was able to lift him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a pretty good match overall. And I can tell that Wardlow's really working on his selling. So someone must be kind of really like emphasizing that in the back or working with him. Um, Or maybe it's just a case of, you know, getting more ring time. Uh, But yeah, no, I I thought it was a good match. Um, It really highlighted what a fucking monster Wardlow is. The fact that he was able to powerbomb Morrissey. And a lot of people were upset uh, by the fact that he only powerbombed him once. Um, Like that was somehow burying Morrissey. Since he had to powerbomb everyone else multiple times to pin them. But I was like, that's not why he was powerbombing them. No. Yeah. (laughs) Over and over again. That was more of him flexing and showing off what he's capable of. It's all about like showing off like what a beast he really is. My guess, if anything, it was more about not bearing Morrissey here. That he wants to take the pinfall while he can get it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it was a picture perfect uh, powerbomb on someone that size Without like, you know, because I've seen Wardlow struggle with some of the even smaller guys than Morrissey. So I was, you know, just just being able to see that alone, I think, was enough. I didn't need to see him pick up Morrissey five more times to get the point across. And I'm wondering, too, if that was a factor. Like, was he concerned about having to powerbomb him multiple times? Like, he's a Uh big fucking dude. So, I mean, why even risk it? Like, do one and done, like let Morrissey say some face. And because it's not like there wasn't a back and forth between the two, you know, it wasn't like just a, a three minute squash match at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I was fine with it. I, I didn't see it as a big deal. I'm wondering if this is going to end up kind of being a tryout match for Morrissey. Now, I just figured that all the staff coming in after that attacking was, you know, to lighten the fact that he was only doing one on him, you know, because now he has the opportunity to attack like 50 different guys uh, it was still a big moment it was no a huge what. moment i mean it was so mm-hmm. over with the crowd i feel like this is probably the best ongoing storyline uh AEW actually has right now um and i i'm just wondering why they didn't feature this in the main event and i understand protecting the prestige of the title but like you haven't done enough to establish the roh title or the brand mm-hmm. for that matter you feature two women in the match who, I mean, Deanna's never been on AEW TV, and uh, Mercedes Mercedes hasn't been on TV since she was getting beat down by Britt Baker. They did have a little video package that I thought was really well done on Rampage, but that's been it. Like, you mm-hmm. would think if you knew you were leading to this match, like, you would at least feature them a couple weeks out. 
at least have you know uh mercedes like compete in a, a tag or something to remind the audience like just who she is and that she's carrying around the roh title by the way I, we'll talk about that later <laughs> let's move on next we had an interview segment that felt like deja vu i feel like we've had this interview segment like four weeks in a row now uh it was between uh Britt baker jamie Hayter, tony storm and ruby soho uh, all just to set up their tag match on Rampage on Friday. Uh, like, like literally the same shot for the last four weeks I feel like we've been getting yes. here with these women. I, it just feels like such a waste. Like we couldn't just throw them in like some other kind of like combination of match to kind of keep this angle fresh and in front of people. Like, you know, keep on having the same kind of interview segment over and over again. It just feels redundant. And it just, I, I feel like you lose momentum that way. Like you're not doing anything for these women and you're not doing justice to like the tournament that way. And it just feels like Groundhog's Day. Yeah, I just figured if they were going to continue doing this segment that they were just going to be adding each woman that like qualifies for the actual tournament into the segment. I didn't realize this was just going to be the four of them every single week. Or just have it turn into a giant brawl backstage. At least give us something different. Like, why can't they touch? What what has been established to say that these women can't touch, that they can't be trusted? I don't, I, I don't like what a weird ruling. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, we had a Hagman Page promo. Uh, he came out of House of Fire, basically diminishing all of Punk's accomplishments in AEW so far. He even said this is going to be another masturbatory like Bret Hart tribute match, <laughs> which I popped for. Uh, he should have said he's a Shawn Michaels fan anyway. That would have been great. Uh, <laughs> he even kind of taunted the the crowd you know pointing to someone wearing a cm punk shirt telling him that that after he's done with them they're gonna end up like burning it uh i don't know i I enjoyed the promo i don't know if you caught this but afterwards there seemed to be like this moment of like self-doubt that i'm interpreting this that just kind of seemed to like wash over his face as he got out of the ring. And I'm wondering if that's supposed to be like the real story of why he's like choosing to have this edge and kind of come off as a heel. And I'm wondering if that's the real story here. Like the whole reason why he's coming off as a heel is he's trying to convince himself that he can beat Punk. I mean, I don't think I noticed his, uh, his actions at that point because I was a little perplexed on you know what this whole promo was about for him. Like I was trying to figure out why he was actually upset with CM Punk. And, you know, maybe that is the fact. Maybe it's, you know, insecurities that could possibly be the reason coming at it with this, you know, harder edge, which I'm fine with them going like that. Like, I would love it if he comes out each week until the event doing this kind of promo on him. Like, I think that would be awesome. Like, CM Punk's not around, but I'm going to talk shit about him like every single week. But at the same time, like I was expecting him to say something where it's like, you know, Punk thinks he, you know, can just come in here and take the title from me and stuff like that. Just just some reasoning behind why he would be actually upset. I didn't I didn't get it at the time. No, I, I totally understand that because it did feel like he was missing like a line or two where, you know, mm-hmm. him just saying like Punk's really not on my own level. Like he's all hype. Like he didn't go too far with it. Um, he kind of seemed to be pulling back, but maybe that's part of the story. I don't know. Uh It'll be interesting to see, like, Punk's rebuttal. It's too deep for my wrestling show. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he's the millennial uh, cowboy, Christian. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
Next, the cameras cut backstage, and we saw Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and uh, Sadaman Singh cut a promo, really just setting up the match between Lethal and, how do you say his name, Christian? Takashita from uh, DDT? I mean, that sounds right to me. All, all I can say is he reminds me a lot of, like, a younger Kota Ibushi. <laughs> then we saw Chris Jericho face off against Santana. This is another program that feels like it's just treading water at this point. It just feels like at this point we've established enough already that, you know, the JAS has the numbers advantage. And, like, we get, like, Santana Ortiz and Kingston aren't going to be able to, like, you know, defeat them until they fight some friends. Right? Like, I get it. It feels like they're just stretching things out to, you know, get to you know, whatever event they're trying to get to, to like, you know, blow this thing off. Um, I'm wondering if it's actually going to be on TV. We get another like blood and guts match or perhaps, you know, a stadium stampede or something. But I just, I'm all for long form storytelling. Don't get me wrong, but you have to have enough chapters to tell that story. There has to be mm-hmm. developments along the way to keep the story interesting. And that's just not happening here. I mean, I do love Chris Jericho calling himself the wizard. Don't get me wrong, but that's not enough to carry this story. Like if Jericho also starts throwing fireballs at everyone, then I'm all in. Right. (laughs) But I mean, that doesn't seem to be the case. But I do love the fact that, you know, I'm the moniker now when he comes out and says the wizard. That's pretty fucking awesome. Um, This match in itself just frustrated me from the get go because I'm like, is there still that suspension rule if they touch each other or something like what's going on there where like he jumps Jericho in front of all of JAS and then they do nothing. They're like all backing off of each other. I, and then throughout the match, they're they're interfering anyway. I didn't understand what was going yeah, on. Yeah, it didn't make any sense because the bell hadn't rung yet. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if some, it was really clunky in the beginning. I don't know if something yeah. was off. I don't know if they were expecting the bell to ring. And that kind of led to the confusion, Um, but something was definitely off. And then to top things off, it felt like the crowd just wasn't really into it. And that's probably Mm -hmm. because they've seen it over and over again for the past couple months. Um, At least that's how it feels. Uh, They did eventually, like, get the crowd back into it, you know, but that's more a credit to, like, you know, Jericho and Santana's professionalism. Anyway, minus one for no magic tricks this week. No, absolutely. What the hell? You can't call yourself the wizard (laughs) (laughs) and not throw another fireball. Come on. So this is when the show really started to like tailspin out of control for me. Mm -hmm. Like we had like this, this barrage of segments that just didn't feel like they went anywhere. We saw Joe address Jay Lethal, told him he was coming for him at Rampage, which is fine and good enough. But then it was followed up by another segment between like the gun club and the acclaimed giving each other (laughs) gifts of scissors Yes, I don't they're supposed to be celebrating some kind of like team up, but I don't even remember like who they're teaming up against and why. I just want them to be called the acclaimed ass. Sure. Or something (laughs) like like, that. I don't understand the motive behind why. But and maybe I just forgot at this point, but I was like, okay, it's just weird. The pacing of this entire like night felt off. Like it just I don't know. The card felt really like top heavy to me. Um, like they put like their best foot forward in the first hour. And then in the second hour, it's like they just kind of phone things in. And I don't know if that was by design, if like they knew they're go- like I, the playoffs are going on right now, the NBA playoffs. So mm-hmm. I, I think they understand that the ratings are going to be in the dumpster regardless. 
but and maybe they thought okay if we really get a good rating that first hour you know it is what it is in that second hour and we're just going to kind of go through the motions and you know not give away anything super important um i we've seen wwe do this time and time again with the third hour of raw uh, but i don't know like the flow of the card for the rest of the night just felt off i mean i even joked with you i know the nfl draft just took place so maybe like tony khan was a little distracted this past week when writing the show <laughs> because this was definitely not his best effort and to really like hammer home that point up next we had the varsity blondes calling out house of black and just a god-awful segment that, like, I don't know, did nothing for me. It just didn't work on any level. It just seemed like it was a weird moment to get this coach guy involved while also giving, you know, the Varsity Blonde something to do. Well, yeah, like, one, you gave Pillman the mic for way too long. Mm-hmm. Like, you're overestimating his ability, it feels like. Um, and I don't know if this was a case of just, like, sh- throwing him in the fire. But, like... He- he hasn't been featured enough on your show for this crowd to care about him, even if like he's close to, you know, his home. Um, and I understood like where he was going with the speech, but it just went way too long. He challenges the house of black, the house of black, and he's all fired up. Right. And then Pillman just kind of mm-hmm. like stands there with his fist cock, not doing anything. Where after his speech, you're expecting him to be this, like, man on a mission and just, like, mm-hmm. you know, diving headfirst into, like, you know, Aleister Black and company. But that wasn't the case at all. It was just so disjointed and weird. And then you had everything with, you know, uh, Hart, where they're teasing her turning and they've been teasing it for, what, like five months now? Yes. It's been a long time. And it felt like at first, oh, they're finally going to do it. They're finally going to pull the trigger. And then it just, it fizzles out and it goes nowhere. So then you have the moment where it looks like Hart's going to finally turn. She's like been given a chair to take out Garrett, who's laying on the ground. And it looks like she's about to do it. And the crowd is about to pop and get excited because finally this godforsaken angle will be over with. And we can move on and see where everything is headed and, you know, just move on with the story overall. And then it it goes nowhere. She puts the chair down, uh, you know, and Black gets in her face. And it's just, I don't know, uncomfortable and weird. Uh, Like, this would have been fine if it happened week three, right? But the fact that this is happening three months from, if not more, um, from when he first blew the mist in her face, it just... It just shows you how inconsistent this story has been. This story would have been like salvageable if, you know, this was taking place week three. But the fact that it's taking place, you know, the third or fourth month out from when he initially like blew the mist in her face. It's just it's too disjointed at this point. It's not like both of these teams have been consistently on TV every week, you know, telling this story and giving us like layers to it. Like, they're featured so inconsistently, like, it's hard for, you know, this storyline and and just the audience's interest to, like, not lose momentum. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm all for, like, long-form storytelling, but, like, you have to actually tell a story. This is just stretching out an angle for way too long. This isn't storytelling. There's not enough chapters for this to be a real story. 
Like we've been stuck on chapter one for five fucking months. It feels like exactly. I mean, her just sitting in a corner and like black doing nothing to address like a possible new member showing up or anything like that for the last three months does nothing to build a story with her. Exactly. You know, she's just been there with an iPad. And that's not every week. You know, like, mm-hmm. maybe that's taking place on Dark, but it's not like the Varsity Blondes is on the TV screen every week. Like, they're they're featured maybe once a month. Tops, mm-hmm. right? So, I, I don't know. And that's kind of the same with, like, Black in them, right? Like, they're not on every week also. Like, we'll get, like, a scary vignette with them where they're talking about something that I don't even understand. But, like, that's pretty much it. It's almost echoing Black's run in the WWE, where he was, like, stuck in that fucking broom closet for, like, six Mm -hmm. months. I mean, I was bitching about this with them in Death Triangle last week. I want to see them wrestle more often, and I want to see them wrestle different competitors at this point. Because I feel like we've just been kind of, like, stuck on neutral for, you know, six months or so. But anyway, after all that happened... Death Triangle came out, made the save, you know, chased the House of Black away. And then, like, for some reason, I don't know if you caught this, like, Hart was still in the ring with them. So I was kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe she's going to cost, like, Phoenix the match or something. And she's going to turn in that moment. But then she just kind of (laughs) disappeared. So it's like, my God, what the fuck is happening? It was just, like I said, so disjointed and weird, you know? And I don't know if there was timing issues happening or... Something was just off. But I digress. Uh, what we got next was another Owen Hart uh, Foundation Cup qualified match between Ray Phoenix and Dante Martin. With Ray Phoenix picking up the win. This match featured some cool moves and some nice sequences. But as a match, I didn't feel like it really flowed too well. There were too many moments that like stopped. Like it seemed like, hey, we need to pause before we go into our next big sequence. That kind of like made the flow of the match just kind of feel weird. Yeah. But I, I, I thought the spots that they had were pretty awesome, though. Yeah, it was just those like transitions in between mm-hmm. where it was like, OK, like here, we're going to we're going to pause for applause. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, or just, like, the setup, like, I don't know, they had to think too long about the setup. It was just, and they're doing some dangerous shit out there, don't get me wrong. But if you have to think too long about what you're going to do next, you probably shouldn't be doing it. And I definitely think I was pulling more for Dante to be part of the uh, Owen Hart Cup than Ray Phoenix. But, you know, Ray just came back from injury, so it's probably... Really? I, I love Phoenix. I feel like he's the bigger star, so I'm more excited about him. Yeah, featured. but I feel like we build some stars with the tournament, you know what I'm saying? That's fine. I just, I haven't seen Phoenix in a long time, so. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all about, like, developing new talent. I just feel like with Phoenix in the tournament, it leads to a lot more interesting matchups. Speaking of the tournament, Christian, it's now finalized. So do you have the brackets? Yes, I'm looking at it right now. On one side, we have Ray Phoenix versus Kylo Riley, and then Samoa Joe versus the supposed Joker. And then on the other side, we have Jeff Hardy versus Darby Allen and Adam Cole versus Dax Hardwood. Who do you think the Joker's going to be? Um, I'm, I don't know what his status is, but I would love to see Cesaro show up. Yeah, that seems to be everyone's hope, right? Um, hmm. It would make sense, and it'd be such a classic matchup to see Joe versus Cesaro. Um, and it could really, like, lead into the whole, like, ROH storyline and everything. Because I feel like Cesaro could be used to really anchor 
ROH as a brand if they wanted to. Absolutely. And just thinking about the European uppercut we could see with Ray Phoenix, um, I want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who do you have winning the whole thing? I feel like it would come down to either the Joker or maybe Darby Allen. Or at, well, maybe Adam Cole. That's where I was going to go. I think it's going to be Adam Cole. Although it'll be weird to have a heel win the tournament. He'll win the tournament? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean. So maybe Darby? Yeah, maybe Darby. Um, God, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to say Adam Cole. Fuck it. Uh, I just can't imagine Jeff Hardy or, you know, Kyle O'Reilly or Dax Hardwood winning. But, I mean, Dax Hardwood would be a cool choice for them to go with. I wonder if the Hart family has a say in who wins. Because I could see them maybe go with Dax since he's such a big fan of Owen and Brett. After that, we had Darby address Jeff Hardy, uh, just basically tell him that he's looking forward to their match uh, in the tournament. But after that, we had Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb in a back and forth that went about 10 minutes too long and totally like sucked the life out of the crowd. Um, like, I'm fine for them to have the segment, but like maybe cut it by five minutes. Right? It just felt like Thunder was going on and on and on. And then Serena went on and on and on. And it's like, just get to the point. Um, or just come to blows or something. Like, I, I understood the story they were trying to tell. But it felt like Thunder almost got lost, maybe. Um, it, it really didn't do much for me. Or I feel like their angle. Mm-hmm. Didn't help that a lot of what Serena Deeb was saying was kind of the similar stuff that we just gotten from Nyla, you know, bringing up like you're going to have the shortest title reign. Yeah. You know, I, I'm more deserving than you. It was all the kind of typical things that we've gotten from most early title reigns. It was very like cut and paste, like by mm-hmm. the numbers. I agree 100%. Like I enjoyed the first part of Rose's like, you know, story, like explain how she was such a big fan of Deeb and everything. But then it just, I don't know, it felt like her like, whole like promo went nowhere and i don't know if they were stalling for time or what but i don't know it did nothing for me or the audience so and it was weird too like after the segment like i was looking at the clock and it definitely felt like they were like running short on time um so i was expecting them to like rush right into like the championship match that they had planned but then they went ahead and like gave us like the full like you know setup for next week's shows uh, which um, is going to be for Dynamite, at least. We won't talk Rampage because after the show, when the show drops, Rampage will already taken place. But uh, mm. on Dynamite, we have two of the Owen Hart Cup uh, quarterfinal matches with Darby Allen versus Jeff Hardy and Adam Cole versus Dax Hardwood. Uh, we also have the MJF uh, Wardlow contract signing, which we didn't actually talk about, but basically Wardlow forced MJF's hand. Um, and they're going to have a match at the pay-per-view, but of course, MJF is going to have some stipulations, you know, to make that happen at least. Uh, and then we have an FTW championship match. So that's, that answers our question of Starks versus Jungle Boy, uh, for a title that really means nothing. And then we're going to have John Silver versus CM Punk, which I'm sure just means that Hangman is going to be on commentary or, you know, come down if Punk, you know, gloats too much about beating Silver. And then after this, we had John Silver, like, address CM Punk, <laughs> which I felt like was totally not needed whatsoever. No, especially not when there's only like 10 minutes left of the show as well. Right? I was like, <laughs> I was like, who gave this guy a fucking match? Did he hijack the camera or something? Like, what's going on? I don't know. Because um, this added nothing to their match. It just was awkward and weird. 
Um, you know, and I listen, I enjoy John Silver, but it just felt out of place for, you know, this storyline, you know, between Punk and Hangman, especially after the fiery promo Hangman just cut. But that brings us to the main event. We saw the undisputed ROH Women's World Championship and the Interim Championship as Mercedes Martinez defeated Deanna Perazzo, uh to unify both titles. To zero applause. Yeah. And the crowd went mild. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I, I don't feel like it's either of these women's fault. I mean, they got off to a weird slow start, especially since it felt like they only had a handful of minutes left. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did have a commercial break, but still, like, I mean, the crowd was already kind of dead. It's like, if you see that, it, it feels like you should start off hot to try to get them back into it. But I don't know. They just kind of took their time and, you know, circled each other until they finally locked up. And then, you know, they put on an okay match, but to no fault of their own, it definitely didn't belong in the main event because there just hasn't been enough build for it. And you could tell the crowd just wasn't invested. No, yeah, it was going to be an uphill battle no matter what, you know, because they're just both two people that the AEW, you know, folks haven't seen yet. And so for them to, like you said, start off so slow, it was probably a mistake there. But, you know, it was a 12 minute match and they somewhat got the crowd into it by the end a little bit. But yeah, unfortunately, (laughs) I mean, I I felt like I could hear a pin drop in that fucking room. It was that quiet. And to start the night, this was actually a hot crowd. But like just the the booking, like just I don't know, like really burned them out. Mm-hmm. Um, the show, just like I like I've been saying all night, like really lost momentum and it really felt like it fizzled out. Um, it just was the lack of build and some weird match placement. Um, I just I. I'm just really confused by some of the choices that Khan has been making the last couple of weeks. There's definitely been a lot of like inconsistency. And perhaps he needs to have more of a team around him to take off some of the load of these booking decisions if he can't deliver on this level. But the fact that he has two other high demanding jobs, I mean, I don't blame him at all for like needing help. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, um, there's nothing wrong with having someone else to lean on, like, you know, during weeks like this where maybe he is stretched too thin. You know, if that is the case, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe he's as fresh as a daisy and he's just making poor choices. Um, I just hope that he's not surrounded by yes men and that there's someone yes. who, like, you know, can point out to him, like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Because I think that's really, like, WWE's problem right now, is there's too many yes-men, and there's not enough people to really challenge Vince. So I hope Khan doesn't make those same mistakes. But with the start of the tournament coming around, uh, hopefully next week will just be a little bit more exciting for AEW. Yeah, I mean, here's to writing the ship, right? Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? 
you can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, the time for talk and speculation is finally over as we get to review Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Plus, we'll be talking all about the Owen Hart Tournament. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. That's no moon. It's a space station. It's too big to be a space station. I have a very bad feeling about this.